Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Thanksgiving's coming up, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving. We all know that you are familiar with CP3 because you're hoops, folks. Shout out to Oklahoma City. But today's guest is the other CP, my CP, CP26. He's a Gainesville product who headed south to go play football for the U. He did pretty well there. We're going to introduce him in a second. But first, Darlene, it's all you, girl. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thank you, Darlene. All right, today's guest is CP26. I'm sure you guys know CP3, but that's not where we're going We've got my dear friend, my co-host on another project, the 26 Minutes with Clinton Portis. We're switching it up. He's joining me today. He was a fantastic running back for the Skins and the Denver Broncos. He ran for nearly 10,000 yards in his nine-year NFL career. He won a national championship at the University of Miami way back in 01. Dog, you're getting old. Anyway, but he's also a dude from Gainesville, Florida. Um, we're going to talk about how he ended up at the U a little bit. Um, but in general... CP, thanks for joining me. No problem. What's going on? Thanks for finally inviting me to the show. You've been doing you know the what? show. No invites, no anything. All of a sudden, you tell me, hey, I don't have another guest I can get on. Can you do the show? Is that the way you want to invite your co-host, Monica? Listen to me. Why did you have to air our dirty laundry? You didn't need to do that. That was, that was not I, necessary. I, I have to keep it real. You want me to keep it real? I'm just trying to keep it real. All right, fine. Fine, fine, fine. But I appreciate you. You know you my guy. I We have so much fun on 2-6. Now I get to have you on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Finally. Now Bruce, my sidekick extraordinaire, he wants to jump off from the break about how you ended up at the U being from Gainesville. Yes, Bruce? Yeah, I mean, you I, I, a guy in, in the cradle of the Gators goes south and works for the enemy. I mean, what kind of abuse did your teammates and friends give you? Hey, Bruce, obviously you went to UF. That's first off. No, um, no, no, that, no, 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 no. I went to I went to Syracuse University, which got their asses kicked by oh, you guys every time oh, you no played. One, no wonder you're upset that I went to the U. Now, now I understand. Uh, no, actually, I was I was actually right down the street from uh, the University of Florida, and they wanted me to play DB. They didn't they didn't want to give me the opportunity to play running back and. Uh, at the time, Fred Taylor, and uh, they had some good backs there. You know, Fred Taylor had just left, and uh, you had Willie Green on the way who was uh, on his way into the University of Florida and had just won Mr. Football uh, the year that I came out. So they felt like Willie Green was a better option at running back. They had Ernest Graham as well, and they wanted me to play DB. And at that time, 
uh, I think the NFL was transitioning to uh, the big backs. You know, you had uh, Jerome Bettis, Eddie George, Jamal Lewis, Jamal Anderson, uh, all of these guys, and the league was transitioning to running backs of 230-plus. And I'm thinking at 180, I'm going to break my pocket if I go up and try to uh, tackle these guys. So the University of Miami gave me an opportunity to play running back. Therefore, I went to the University of Miami. And all your friends were cool with that because they realized you were you were going to a better situation. Well, uh, some of my partners, you know, we just had the uh, competitiveness. So one of my uh, high school rivals, you know, was uh, uh, Kendall Pope that went to FSU and uh, Quinn. I mean, it was so many guys that came out, you know, Mike Mathiel at UF, Rishay Caldwell, a bunch of guys that, you know, I was really competitive with went to the other schools. So we had a Lito Shepard and uh, all of those guys. We had a fierce rivalry just from high school sports because we were all in the same arena and all fighting for the same uh, credentials and, and who was the best coming out. So uh, I think in high school, Lito Shepard had the title because his school was so dominant in range and then all of all of a sudden in college, I get the title because I went to the U and we knocked uh, Florida off. We actually beat Florida in uh, the Sugar Bowl, and then we won the national championship. So I think I made a good decision. Oh hell yeah! Yeah you did. yeah! Oh hell yeah! You did right. <laughs> we'll give you your props for your good decision. But Bruce, I gotta say, I almost lost my job this week when I teased him about FIU beating Miami. <laughs> hey you. That's still up for discussion. Still pending, Mon uh, Monica. I know that you've been trying to make up. Hey, you're gonna come. You're gonna come to my charity event to show face, and then you put me on your pod like we really cool. We still beefing. It's just honestly that was such a great laugh. I'm sorry that it had to be at your expense. All right, but here's the deal. This is a basketball podcast, and we've discussed on two six about how much you enjoy and love the NBA. Uh, folks at home listening. Clint Portis is a Russell Westbrook guy, which, yes, makes you a Houston Rockets fan now. Explain that dynamic. I haven't left OKC. I find myself still following everything OKC, still keeping up with Shai Gillis Alexander. I see CP3 doing good things, Stephen Adams doing good things. So I'm still an OKC man at heart. It just is not that easy to break up. Although I watch the Rockets and I root for Westbrook and Harden because they came from OKC, it's still hard to just sit and say, hey, I'm a Rockets fan. So right now, I'm kind of in a neutral stage. Finding, I'm finding myself at this point in life. Okay. I'm finding myself, and I'm finding my team. So I, I like watching a lot of the young teams, you know, looking at Utah, looking at the Celtics. I think Denver is going to be a good young team. Um, I think a lot of these teams have so much to bring to the table or so much to offer. So it's kind of exciting. Looking at what Luka Doncic is doing down in Dallas, has really been awesome. So, you know, it's a lot going on. I'm just enjoying I'm just enjoying the game. You said you were finding yourself, but you know who else is finding himself? Is Russ working with James Harden. I think that so far has worked out really, really well. Well, I think it's worked out because he's deferred to James Harden and understand Harden is is the Rockets. You know, that's Harden's team, whereas in OKC Russ was the main guy, you know. He he couldn't take that backseat to KD or Harden. And now all of a sudden you see Russ kind of taking a step back, you know. Uh, he, he One time he bring the ball up court, the next 
the next three or four times. Harden bring the ball up court. Uh, and he's just kind of playing his role, still having a good season. But, again, I, I think basketball really clicked on uh, Christmas Day games. When Christmas Day games come around, we'll figure out what stance Russell is going to take for the rest of the season. So, Russ is one of those guys who is, seems to be pretty durable over the duration of his career, and so is James Harden, which brings us to the discussion of load management, which has been sort of a buzzword in the NBA this year for you. Obviously, the NFL is a different beast, but you understand fully what it is to be a professional athlete. Where are you on that? Well, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I listen to James Harden, as he said, he going to be on the court. You know, you listen to uh, Derrick Rose, and Derrick Rose had an interesting comment and said, hey, if we had load management in my days in Chicago, I would still be there. Meaning, he, you know, he know uh, he took a lot, He took, all that time took a toll on him. Uh, I just think some guys can do the load management and some guys can't. You know, some guys want to be on the court. They're competitive. I think Russell and Harden uh, both have that DNA where they want to be on the court. It's no, well, pull me off the court or give me a night off. They want to be on the court. Then you look at some guys that's coming back from injuries that's been used to being injured throughout the season that's recovering. So you understand that. I understand Kawhi. I understand Paul George. Both of those guys have been banged up over over recent years. So managing their workload, they're still finding a way to get W's. I know it sucks for a fan for you to come to the game and you get a ticket and here's your only opportunity and you spent all of your hard-earned money to say, I'm going to see Kawhi, I'm going to see PG, and one of them off tonight for low management. You know, as a fan, you like, what the heck? Like, are you going to reimburse me? Or I wanted to see both guys but at the same time. Just getting the experience, man. You want those guys to be around for the playoffs and uh, hopefully for a championship game if they can make it. And after seeing what happened with KD and you see what happened with Clay with those guys uh, trying to play through pain or, or trying to come back and stay on the court, and all of a sudden it doesn't work. So I understand it both ways. Do you think, because this morning on Get Up, Jalen Rose suggested that if guys are going to take nights off, then they notch zeros in terms of their stat sheet for those nights, right? Like, it's just, it's weird, CP, because you know I'm all for this era in terms of athletes being truly empowered. But I feel Doris Burke, to a degree, who bemoaned the fact that Kawhi wasn't playing Giannis in a nationally televised game. So if, like, if we could make it all work where maybe there's an agreement that you don't miss a nationally televised game, and if you do, then you take some zeros in your stat sheet. Like, if if it hurt players in terms of stats and stuff, would that matter? Like, I just – I don't think we're going to be able to get rid of it. I'm just trying to figure out how we make it as well, – Well, I think, if, I think if, you put, if you put zeros in a uh, category for low management, then that definitely hurt guys. That's like, you know, you get 100 on the test and then you get a zero on the test, you get a 50, you know, and – that's saying you're an F student if you get a 50, and you're yeah, not an F student. You know your caliber is way better. Right, but you're going to – I just think it's tough. You know, you I think it's zero. a tough situation because it's hard. You, you don't understand what the pain tolerance is. You, I mean, I think you look at LeBron and you applaud, uh, I mean, you applaud LeBron for how he carries himself. Like, man, LeBron went to so many finals in a row. 
and was on the court all the time with all the low management, being the face of the franchise, taking all the bumps and bruises, playing all five positions. Like, all of a sudden, it makes you appreciate LeBron's game so much more when you realize what he went to, seven straight finals or something. So he he's not getting the offseason, and then he's right back at it. And he, he's done this constant over his career. So now when you look at guys, you say Kawhi is up there. You know, Kawhi went to finals with, with the Spurs, and they always had long seasons. But I think when these guys start getting up in age, you have to say, like, you, you have to be – able to say tonight you take the night off i don't know if you take the night off against Giannis, like where everybody has that game circle on their calendar is nationally televised everybody and their mom pay overpriced for courtside seats or to get to this game because it's like oh Kawhi about to play Giannis, and and, and then Kawhi is not playing you know which Kawhi is taking a lot of heat and that's just because he's at the top right now it's it's honestly because he's at the top and he just won a championship in Toronto after what people felt he took a year off in San Antonio because no one ever really disclosed the injury. San Antonio felt like he could come back. They sent him to Toronto. He didn't miss any games in Toronto. He came right out and started playing, won a ring in Toronto, and then off to the Clippers. So I think when you look at Kawhi's situation, it's just one of those situations where he's the man right now, and everyone has something to say because they want to see him go out and battle. But Kawhi is battle-tested. You just saw him carry the Toronto Raptors to a championship. So there's no one that can say anything. And that was in the East why Giannis had a golden opportunity. Mm. Very good point. Hey, um, uh, you had mentioned LeBron, you know, in part of that comment a little bit earlier on there. Um, So he's got the Lakers rolling right now. And I know it's early in the season, but – Describe that guy. I mean, what do you think? I mean, how? What are words that you can use to describe what this guy is Wait. and what he's doing? Yeah, go ahead, Monica. Before you do that, though, what position would you like to see LeBron play in the NFL? Like, if he was ah, on your squad, good one. Tight end. Okay. I think he would be the biggest mismatch in the world at tight end. What LeBron six eight six nine and it can run like that. So imagine him being locked up with a linebacker or a safety. They don't want to tackle him. He can jump over everybody's head. Like, it would be a complete mismatch. I don't think if you put him at wide receiver, you really get the benefit of using him because you send him on the slant, they're going to put him to sleep. Uh, So (laughs) being able to use him in the middle of the field where you're, like, you can protect him and allow his athletic ability to shine, I think would be great. But for your question, uh, what he's doing with the Lakers, man, after seeing how the Lakers went last year and the young guys, and all of a sudden they flipped their roster. And you bring in AD and Rondo and uh, Cal, you know, you keep Coos, and you add Quinn Cook, and you add some pieces that make LeBron's situation so similar to all his championship years. You look at him in Miami, you look at him in Cleveland. When you put shooters around him, to allow him to create and they don't clog up the lane. You got AD playing at one of the most unbelievable levels any NBA player has ever played at. And we're talking about LeBron. And LeBron has always known how to keep his other guys involved. You're talking about Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith being all-star caliber players while playing with LeBron. You look at that that Heat roster, of course you got D-Wade and Bosh and Ray Allen. But Birdman, like everybody around him, 
he elevates their play. So that's what he's doing in L.A. And while he while while they're fighting for the king of L.A., you look at what LeBron doing. He elevates everybody around him, man. And I, I think he's at a level where he takes all the shots. He takes all the hits to cover for his teammates, whether he's calling the shots or whatever. You never really have to worry about LeBron's teammates getting in any trouble because he takes all the heat. He takes all the criticism. He never defers. He always comes out, and he gives you his all, no matter who he's playing with, no matter who you surround him with. It's like a, a couple years ago you were upset because he constantly get the best players to play with. You know, Kevin Love was a dog. Uh, 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 J.R. Smith I always thought was a dog. You look at the guys around, Tristan Smith, I mean, Tristan Thompson was – what, the second pick in the draft. So it's not like he got slouches around him, but he elevates those guys and get the most out of them. Who is a guy that did that that you played with in the NFL? Um, Londa Fletcher definitely did it. But uh, at that position? Okay. At, at my position? No, no, no. London Fletch was Fletch wasn't like an offensive weapon. Yeah, but you're just – I'm just saying guys who I think elevate their oh, teammates. Okay. You know, you get the most out of their teammates. It's not just one position to say, oh, this is the position that do it. You know, I look at Chris Samuels, and I think just Chris Samuels being the dog that he was, he could elevate the defensive guys to say, hey, you know, I see this or do this or try that. London Fletcher, he was one of those those people that had so much that dog mentality – that he elevates you. Sean T, of course. Right now, uh, today is the anniversary of Sean T. So, Sean T will always be uh, one of those guys. Santana, you know, and Santana didn't do it um, as far as uh, uh, talking. It was more play. You know, Santana was one of those guys that was on the field, in practice, taking every rep. And you know he's hurt or he's hobbled or he's going to the training room like he would leave. Uh, he would leave the field and go get more treatment. He would leave the facility and go get more treatment also he can make practice. And I used to say, Talon, like, bro, what are you doing? It was just he just needed to practice. He needed to be in the loop. He needed to be out there. So when you look at guys like that, it's so many different ways you can look at a guy that motivates you or elevates your play. And some guys do it on the field. Some guys do it talking. Some guys do it by just saying, hey, you know what? If I look at me, and me and Cooley was joking about it yesterday, and he was like, you have to be the best player ever in the history of the NFL that never practiced. And, you know, it was like one of those, he was like, no, I'm saying this in a good way because you never practiced, but I've never seen anyone play harder than you. So everyone has their own niche. And when you get that opportunity, it's just about, hey, I'm going to go full speed and I'm going to prove to you that I could carry this team or I'm the baddest man on the field today. Hey, so like Tom Brady, I think, helped get a lot of guys rings. And I always sort of compared him a little bit to Tim Duncan in basketball. They did it over a really long period of time. Brady's still doing it. Uh, five rings for Tim, six rings for Brady. All, you know, solid organization behind him. I always thought those two guys were very similar, but in different sports. Well, I think if you look at Pop, Pop is probably the, uh, if not the best, uh, he's definitely number two of all-time NBA coaches, maybe behind Phil Jackson. Uh, when you look at Belichick, 
if not the best, who is he behind? You know, I think uh, for both of those relationships to work, Poppin, Duncan, Belichick, and Brady, uh, it, it took the head guy to understand who the face was and for them to be able to get along and everybody buy in. If Pop can cuss out Tim Duncan, then everybody else around should have no problem with being cursed out by Pop. The same for uh, for Belichick and Brady. If, if they get into a spat or if Belichick holds Brady accountable for every incident or every single thing he does, then everyone else has to have that understanding. I think for those guys, they're both goats. When you look at Tim Duncan's uh, career and when you look at Brady's career, they're going to go down as best in the history. You know, and every I often hear the argument of KG and Tim Duncan, and, you know, I was listening to uh, Steven Jackson and Matt Bourne's podcast where they were discussing KG and Tim Duncan. If KG would have been picked by San Antonio, would he be the best power forward of all time? So you got to find that relationship. It's so many good outstanding players, but you need that relationship. And when you get that longevity, if you look at a lot of the teams that's won, a lot of the uh, organizations that's been historic or uh, had that, that, that great run with coach and player, it was just I, – I think Drew Brees and Sean Payton should be in that conversation. Although they're not winning championships year in, year out. You look at Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. Like, when you find that, that dynamic duo, it's hard to beat those guys. You know, I'm sorry, Monica, just one thing. You make a really great point, at the, especially at the tail end, where you talk about those relationships. Because John Stockton and Carl Malone and Jerry Sloan they kind of had that thing going on too. When the best player on the team is able to be, you know, criticized by the coach and and he just kind of accepts it, uh, you're right. Everybody else has to follow. I mean, you know, no room for a Dion Waiters on a team like that. These guys got to fall in. <laughs> I mean, when, when you when you look at when you look at this situation, man, John Stockton is one of the best of all time. We leave Jeff Hornacek out, but Jeff Hornacek was was like Steve Kerr was to the Bulls or to the Spurs. You know, when you look at that team, and Russell was the, the, like the the Scottie Pippen to Carl Malone, you know. Uh, so everybody knew their role. Everybody understood their role and got it done. The only issue with the Jazz was they constantly ran into the Bulls, and it was nothing they could do. They had, they had a great opportunity. They had a dynasty. Their dynasty was like the Buffalo Bills. You go to all of these Super Bowls, you get to all of these finals, and you never win because you keep going up against Michael Jordan. And it's nothing you could do. It's not to belittle your dynasty. It's not to take away anything that Jerry Sloan did as a coach with John Stockton, with Carl Malone, all Hall of Famers. Look how many Hall of Famers you're naming in that situation and how that chemistry worked. And yet it was in Salt Lake City, Utah. Who wants to go there? Woo, man! All right, you know what? I see. I'm. I love when you talk basketball because you you'll be surprising them on the low. All right, but look, you were in Denver when Carmelo Anthony got drafted and joined the Nuggets. Well, first of all, did you did you interact? We got any stories? Because you always have fantastic stories, and I get super jealous when you share your great stories with other. Well, I already know I got stories, man. I still remember Melo and Lala coming to my all white party. What you mean? Do I have uh -oh. stories? AI was out there too. Kenya Martin was out here. Uh, who else did we have? Nay Nay. It was a young Nay Nay. J.R. Smith was out there. Of course, we interacted. What you mean? Did we interact? 
I'm just checking. So you got a story or no? You're just going to tease it off with your all-white party that we can't get any details from. I mean, you know, actually, Melo was Mello was one of my favorite players. And you were talking about it on, on the pod when you were talking about Syracuse and how fatuated you was with getting the T-shirt that Melo wiped sweat off his face with and how you how you always slept with it on your pillow. But um, Melo was one of my favorite players, you know, early, especially early in the NBA when uh, coming out of Syracuse and then Melo going to Denver with me being in Denver and us going to all the games, it was just one of those situations like, Man, I'm a Mellow fan. You know, I still got I still got one of the Mellow game jerseys from the Nuggets and the Knicks, uh, where I was going to see Mellow play. So I've always been a huge fan of Mellows. Um, that all white party, man, it was just it was classic. You know what makes it so classic is Mellow was with Lala, who was M C V and Kenyon was with Trina, who was superstar at that time. Yeah, I mean it was just one of those one of those parties that you had to be at to actually appreciate and enjoy. So, you know, for me to just tell you a story and, and put somebody's business out, I'm 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 not exposing anything because these relationships was nationally known and Melo and Lala is married, but that was the early part of their uh dating, you know, when when they first started messing around. So to be able to look back at it now and say they're still together is great. Did you hear did you hear Lala rapping with Sierra on that music awards show? No. I she, never was no, no, she was no, good. No, she was good. She was good. No, I never heard of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I didn't nobody who knew Lala could rap, but I mean she was really good. I thought the song was really good. And I'm not a huge hip hop fan, but I thought it was talent on display. I'm gonna have to go find yeah, that. I'm not a huge hip hop fan either. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> So here's the deal. You were you were in Denver for the beginning. Melo has had such an interesting past year, past season, however you like to identify the time that he's been away. He returns with Portland. But again, pro-athlete perspective. And he's talked at different points about just how grateful he is to have an opportunity again and to be back in the locker room and stuff. But how do you go from being tossed out prematurely, not when you felt like you didn't have anything to offer at this point, and then trying to make a comeback. Like, what is that even like mentally? Well, I, I just think his redemption story is going to be so dope. Redemption stories are always dope. You know, people count you out and people X you out, and then they don't know how to deal with you. They don't know how to approach you. They don't know how, you know, everybody who said Melo is done, Melo is a poison, and all of a sudden Melo just dropped a 20-piece and led his team in scoring while in victory. So, that allows you to say, well, Melo can still get it done, and that opens up plenty doors and opportunities for him. Now, the thing is, Portland took this chance, which I think it had been rumblings and opportunities that never just just kind of happened for them. Now that all of a sudden it happens and Melo go out and performs at the level that he's used to playing, I don't think he needs to go out and average 20 points a game. But if you could get 17 points from Melo a night, whether that's as a starter off the bench because Portland needs scoring to go along with Dame and, and CJ. If he can get them a good 15 or more points per night, any team could use that. My issue is hoping Melo gets an opportunity to stay with that organization and Terry Stott as a coach, if he gets to stay in Portland and you get an opportunity to, to have those guys for two years or so before breaking them up. You know, it would suck for Melo to get this opportunity and then all of a sudden 
they underachieved and Terry Stott get fired or CJ or Dame decide they want to leave and now it's broken up and people like overshadow what Melo brought to the table. So I'm looking forward to Melo just returning and everybody jumps on the bandwagon and everybody want to give you an opportunity after someone else bites the bullet. Portland bit the bullet and I hope he gets an opportunity to be in Portland for quite some time to come out and show them he can play basketball and it's not done. He's not done and he gets an opportunity to walk away on his own. I have this theory about Mello. Okay. So remember I said, I went to Syracuse, so I'll always love Mello for leading him to the NCAA championship. But I have this theory about him because and he's winning. going he, and winning. He's going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's no question about it. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He, he's he been that great. But I always thought that he was kind of unfairly judged because he wins a championship as a freshman in college, you know, MVP of the Final Four, all that. And I almost feel like everybody felt like he, he, he disappointed people in some way after that because he never was able to win in the NBA after winning as a freshman, almost kind of unfairly looking at his career saying, wow, did he peak when he was 19 years old? It's not fair to ask it, but I think some of that's at work in the way people perceive him. Well, again, I think everything in sports is just a, a matter of perception. I think Melo was such a, a game changer for basketball and you look at his influence on a lot of the guys that came after him. When you have a guy that's an influence or a game changer that leaves a dynamic impact on any sport, I think that should be Hall of Fame. Everybody look at Hall of Fame numbers as, uh, oh, well, did you win championships? How many times did you go to the playoffs? And, you know, they, they don't look at your influence of how you impacted the game, how you impacted the culture, how you impacted – everybody that came after you. So Melo, I think, had a huge impact on the NBA. It was like Allen Iverson. You know, Allen Iverson came in with the headband and the tattoos and the sleeve, and everybody and their mom saw the same thing. I think when Melo came in, it was the same way. Everybody wanted to be Melo. Everybody wanted to be the next Carmelo or the next LeBron. The difference was LeBron went on to win a title, and Melo was stuck in New York in, in dispute and in Denver where he wanted out and it's kind of like he missed his prime so people are upset because he didn't win in his prime for whatever reason you had an opportunity with George Carl you had an opportunity with Dan Tony in New York and it just never fizzled out but just as an individual player Melo's been a bad man his entire career definitely that, that's that's hard to argue for sure and it's crazy because I remember people like wanting to pick up even my dad like we used to do that slide step move he used to do from the hop or the free throw line extended extended rather and just kind of turn and raise up over his opponents like I remember that being a drill that a bunch of guys I knew did I did it um he definitely has left his imprint on the game but all right CP I got this question for you what is it that what is the one thing because I'm sure you've got a handful of things but what would be the one thing you would like to see the NFL adopt from the NBA, whether it be from a player relations standpoint, marketing, culture, like what's the one thing you would like to see the NFL pick up from the NBA? Well, I just think the culture of the NBA, you know, they understand their brand. I don't think the NFL understands that. The NFL doesn't cater to its athletes. The NFL, I think, caters to its owners, which, hey, they make a lot of money. They bring a lot. They do a lot. But at the same time, I think the NBA caters to their brand. 
they have more opportunity. They have more voice and power, which the NFL doesn't have. You constantly see the NFL in fights or arguments or, it's, you know, whatever the fine system is, it's just not right. You know, two players get fined for the same exact thing, and it's a different price or, uh, you know, you're, you're getting fined more than you're making and your money is not guaranteed. If you get cut next week, then you're in, you're in hell. You know, it's just not fair for NFL players. You know, NBA, you get fined. It's a set fine. Hey, here's, here's our fine system. This is what happens. In the NFL, it seems like every time you look at the Miles Garrett incident and you look at Mason Rudolph, Mason Rudolph is not making a lot of money, but he's fined $50,000. Miles Garrett is making some money because he was an early pick in the draft and he's missing six games. That's six game checks at Miles Garrett's salary. So whatever his salary is, if it's, uh, if it's 50, 50 or $60,000 a game times six, is a lot, you know, and you look at Mason Rudolph and it's like, well, he's he's going to have the opportunity to play, but we're going to find him 50000 which is four games, five games for him at 50000 compared to Miles Garrett being suspended for six games, not being on the court, and he's missing a million dollars. Like, that's unfair in my assessment, but I don't make the rules. I'm just here as a reporter to report to you how I feel and speak how I feel. And let you deal with it. You got a lot to say. It's really yeah. good listening to you, man. You really, you really, you really do. Because a lot of times I found myself you saying things, and I'm thinking that's exactly how I feel. So, bravo to you. Two six wearing quarter hat. Look at you go. Great minds think alike. <laughs> All right. So this is how we wrap things up on interviews here on buckets, boards, and blocks. But Bruce, where should we make this? Another correlation? No, we'll just keep it NBA open, right, Bruce? I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think, you know, yeah, tee them up, Monica. All right, here we go. On buckets, boards, and blocks, CP, we wrap the show with a bucket, board, or a block, unless you feel like giving me all three. Your umbrella subject is just the NBA, and even college basketball if you want to go there, because I know you tune in, especially when it gets to March, because you are actually a legit basketball fan. Your bucket is the thing that you love. You want more of this thing. It's an A++ thing. Give us more of that. Your board is something that when you first look at it, it's not so great, but it has some silver lining to it, kind of like a rebound. And then your block is the thing that you want to see get out of here. I don't want any more of this. Like, get it out of here. It can be concept. It could be player. You got the whole NBA college basketball umbrella to pick a thing, a bucket, board, and a block. So you only um, got to do you only got to do one unless you want to do all three, right? right? So you know. All right. So I would I would definitely give the block. What I want to see is the NCAA stop finding people and individuals. We look at a guy like Chase Young. You look at everything that's going on with Wiseman. At, at Memphis uh, for whatever the situation is. We don't know, but you can, you ask a guy to pay you or you give a guy a fine of twelve or $13,000 that can't even use his own image, that can't get paid, that you know is leaving for the NBA because he's a potential first pick of the NBA draft. But you take basketball away from this guy, you punish this guy, you find this guy because you know of his potential. How else can I pay you $13,000? 
And where does that fine come from? So I need us to stop playing pretend as if we don't understand what these guys are experiencing on the college level. If I'm going to be the potential first pick in the draft, but you made me come to school for one year because that's how you get cut in and that's how you make a little money off of my image as well, but I can't hate on that, but you turn around and you find me for something you made me do, which was come to college. Wiseman could have went to the NBA out of high school. This one-year development is not doing anything for him, whereas it is helping Memphis. It's helping Memphis out tremendously. It's helping them in recruiting. It's helping them in national news. It's helping them get the attention that they so long sought for since their Rose days. So now that you have this opportunity and you're constantly finding guys or kicking guys out of college or putting guys in position that they have to leave because you're exposing they took a little money from Adidas, took a little money from Nike, which you've understood that all along. For these guys to go to tournaments in and out, Adidas, Nike, and every other brand pays so much for all of these Pop Warner sports, for all these youth sports, for these people that's less talented, that's less in, low-income families, and you're telling me that you believe they're going to turn an eye to an opportunity to expose a young kid? Forget about it. Let's block that. All right. You hammer. I just got one word to say f- to all that, and that word is preach. Sorry, Monica. Matumbo <laughs> <laughs> with the block shot. I see you. Thanks, CP. I appreciate you, my guy. Happy Thanksgiving. Good luck in your game tomorrow. Hey, no problem. Happy Thanksgiving to you. My game Thursday. So if I don't make it to 26 minutes next week, <laughs> Send a prayer out for me, baby. <laughs> yeah, it is Tuesday. We can do that. Your game is Thursday. Good luck. <laughs> All right. Peace out. All right. Let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you a billion times over to my friend and co-host, Clinton Portis, for joining this pod this week on BBB Pod. Guys, we're recording this on Tuesday. Thanksgiving is Thursday. He's playing in another Turkey Bowl game. Last year, it didn't go so well. Check out the story on 26 Minutes. He's trying to redeem himself. So keep him in your thoughts and prayers. He is already in the University of Miami Hall of Fame. Definitely a hopeful pro football Hall of Fame member. The gold jacket would look great on him. He has my vote. Thank you to my extraordinary producer and sidekick, Bruce Bernstein. Our fantastic editor, Ben Wolfen. The show couldn't happen without those two guys. Please be sure to check out Our other Pure Hoops media shows, The Mike Wise Show, drops each Monday. Hopefully, you caught his two-part interview with David Stern. It was quality stuff. You definitely want to check that out. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops each Friday. And those guys have been doing bonus shows every Tuesday as well. And soon, we will be relaunching Catch and Shoot 2.0 on Wednesday with our exciting new team. More details on that one will come soon. Of course, I'm here every Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving. And every Thursday is a new edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. So until next time, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 